Well, if you would, turn with me in your copies of God's Word to the prophet Isaiah, where our Old Testament reading will be Isaiah chapter 49, verses 8 through 16. Brothers and sisters, the very word of God. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out. To those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is the word of God from the Old Testament. Please turn with me now, if you would, also uh, to the book of Second Corinthians in the New Testament for our New Testament reading and sermon text this morning. Be looking this morning at Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, verses eleven through the end of the chapter, verse twenty-one. Again, brothers and sisters, the word of God. I have been a fool; you forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go. And sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? 
Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. The Word of God, brothers and sisters. As a visiting pastor, it is always good to see you and to get to worship with you. Though I confess, I do not uh, have the relationship with you that I'm sure you have with Pastor Simmons, where he uh, visits you and gets to know you and your family. And yet, I would hazard a guess that if I asked uh, many of you, do you have any uh, dysfunctional, distant family relations, or perhaps immediate family relations? Do you have any uh, any relationships where uh, it is a struggle to know how to interact with the other person, and all of your best efforts to love them, to point them to the Lord, seem to go nowhere and come to no fruitful end? Uh, I know that when uh, when my wife and I, when we were called uh, last year to serve uh, as associate pastor at uh, Redeemer OPC in Danville, and we moved to the Danville-Bloomsburg area, my uh, wife has some uh, distant family relations in the area, and we bumped into them at uh, Walmart. We've done so repeatedly, as uh, Walmart collects all, uh, all kinds of people. Uh, but they are difficult relationships. It's difficult to, uh, to relate to them in any way that doesn't appear to simply enable sin and dysfunction. And this is something that as we are sinners and we live in this fallen world, we, are, uh, we know what it is like to engage in relating with people who are not behaving the way that God would tell them to behave. And we know our own propensity to commit those same errors. Well, whatever dysfunction we engage in in our own relationships is but the dimmest picture of the true dysfunction in our life, of our rebellion against the Lord who created us, who created us to serve Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to walk in the paths of life, and we have not done so as sinners. And what we see in the scriptures in general, but in particular here in this part of 2 Corinthians, is we see again God's relentless pursuit of sinners. That God does not leave us, God does not leave you to just wallow in sin. God pursues us. He pursues us in love that we might repent and find life in Christ. We see Paul, uh, the apostle to the Corinthian church, demonstrating this as he images Christ to the church, pursuing them multiple times over a span of years to bring them the gospel that they may repent. 
And the good news that we celebrate every Lord's Day, brothers and sisters, is that God pursues us as sinners. He does not leave us in our estate of sin and misery. He has provided for us a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the Apostle Paul uh, here tells the church in verse 15 that he will most gladly spend and be spent for their souls. Who is Paul imaging? The one who did spend himself for our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve a God who pursues us first, who pursues sinners, who is still pursuing sinners to show us his love and to bring us to repentance. I want us to uh, unpack this in three ways from the text. Uh, First, we see through the Apostle Paul's ministry, we see that God pursues sinners Second, we see that this pursuit is done in love. And finally, we see that God desires our repentance. God pursues sinners. He pursues sinners in love. And he desires our repentance. Uh, So in verse 11 here, uh, Paul is coming to the conclusion of a a lengthy section in the past couple of chapters in 2 Corinthians where he has been defending his ministry over against the so-called super-apostles. There has been quite a bit of dysfunction between the Corinthians and Paul. These letters uh, address some of that. Uh, There have been uh, at least two previous letters, one of which we have in the form of 1 Corinthians, but there's been at least one other letter uh, that we don't have in Scripture that Paul uh, has talked about in 2 Corinthians. Uh, There's been two prior visits. Paul here uh, says in verse 14 that this is now the third time that he is prepared to come to them. Uh, So this has been a church that has had a multi-year history of problems and problems in their relationship with the Apostle Paul. They don't think he's particularly impressive in his personal ministry to them. Uh, They are following after others. They are tempted to abandon the gospel by uh, by following the super-apostles. And uh, we see here that the Apostle Paul is not giving up on them. Uh, He is continuing to pursue them. He doesn't Theoretically, at least, he doesn't have to do this, uh, right? We all face the, uh, the potential choice when uh, faced with difficult relationships to just give up, stop trying. Uh, this person isn't going to repent. They won't listen to me. I'm done wasting my time. Uh, but Paul, as the apostle to the Corinthians, he does not do this. He is pursuing them, showing them Christ. Showing them Jesus, the same God who did not leave sinners to perish in sin, but who sent his own son, now as the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, has sent apostles to the church, the Apostle Paul pursues the Corinthians. This is the mission of the church, to pursue sinners. To pursue us. This is, what, this is why all of us are here in this room today. Because at some point, God pursued us. And yes, we can talk about the, the invisible theological truths of effectual calling. right? That for any of us to come to faith, the Holy Spirit has to work to regenerate our hearts and renew our minds so that we can hear the gospel and respond with faith. But there's also a very human pursuit. Someone 
taught you the scriptures. Someone came to you with the word of God, whether that was a pastor or uh, someone that you heard over the radio or a family member who taught you the scriptures, right? God sent someone to you to bring you the word of God. Every Sunday, Pastor Simmons is here to bring you the word of God. What's happening? God is pursuing you. God pursues us. He does not leave us to wallow in our sin and and misery. He pursues us to bring us to himself. God is the initiator and the actor in this, even through those human components of God sending apostles to the church, and now after the close of the apostolic age, God continuing to send evangelists, pastors, teachers to the church to open the word of God that we might know the salvation that is possible in his Son. The ministry of Paul uh, was not clean Uh, The Corinthian church was perhaps not a church that any of us would have been attracted to join. Uh, I suspect that very few, probably none of you, came to Resurrection OPC and joined it because uh, you thought this is a church that is full of quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. That's very, very unusual that someone would join a church for those reasons. And yet this has been the mark of the Corinthian church. I've always loved that the Lord has included 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the scriptures because it helps us see that sinners are still in the church and sin causes all the same kinds of problems potentially in the church that it does outside of the church. And it's not beyond the reach of God's grace and saving power. God pursues real sinners who have real problems, who have real struggles to love the Lord and to love one another. And in that context, God continues to work by word and spirit to call us to himself. Uh, Brothers and sisters, whatever is going on, whatever you are facing in your particular lives, you should rest assured that God is providentially working to pursue you. To not leave you where you are spiritually, but to sanctify you, to grow you, to bring his word to you, to show you more of Jesus to enable you to grow in Christ's likeness. And God will use human means to do this. God gives you pastors and elders. God gives you translators so that you don't have to learn Greek and Hebrew to read your Bible. Uh, You can read it in English so that you can know the word of God for yourself and not have to rely on clergy. God gives to you uh, your, your, your very selves, one another in the church. That we don't have a me and Jesus kind of Christianity, but rather the Lord calls us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, God's pursuit of us is not, uh, is not always invisible. It's often very visible. Just as Paul is going to the Corinthians, he's telling them to prepare for his third visit. And through Paul, God is ministering to them. So also God continues to minister to us Uh, as we relate to one another in the body of Christ. And Paul is careful to highlight here that his pursuit of the Corinthians, his motive, what he's aiming for, is that he loves them. And his pursuit, again, mirroring the pursuit of the Lord to his church, is motivated by love, not by deceit or any ulterior motive. Paul spends uh, extensive time here, 
uh, dealing with an accusation that apparently has been made. Paul uh, did not take any money from the Corinthians when he ministered among them. He had raised support uh, from churches elsewhere. Uh, So all of his language here in these verses where he's talking about being a burden... Verse 13, in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Uh, Verse 14, I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. Uh, Verse 16, uh, but getting granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. So uh, Paul was not taking any money from them. it's very likely, by contrast, then, that the super-apostles were taking money from the Corinthians and the others that they ministered to. And the, the Corinthians have seen fit to become suspicious of Paul with this as their reason. They've accused him of being crafty and getting the better of them by deceit. And so Paul here, uh, several times, emphasizes that... He's not trying to be crafty. He doesn't have an ulterior motive. He's not attempting to manipulate the Corinthians. He's not trying to control them. He doesn't, he explicitly says he doesn't want their stuff. He wants them. And he, uh, he brings this to its culmination there in verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? God is pursuing the Corinthians in love through the Apostle Paul. Uh, The Apostle Paul is not uh, out to win a territory dispute. He's not upset uh, about the super apostles and others because it would look bad for him and his ministry. Uh, He's upset because there are wandering sheep who are potentially straying from the word of God that had come to them through the Apostle Paul in his ministry. And Paul loves them. He is, happy to, uh, he is happy to spend himself of his money, of his time, of his energy, to love and to serve them. He's going to say later on in chapter 13, verse 9, uh, your restoration is what we pray for. Uh, he is at work to minister to them for their good. And this may seem... Quite obvious on the one hand, of course the Lord loves us. Of course he gives us his word in love. Of course he sent his son uh, out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? These, these are verses that we love and cherish and memorize. And yet, I suspect that we all are of a little bit of a similar mind when God's word really confronts us and tells us to change something. Uh, when I am exposed in some pattern of thought or of speech or of behavior... Uh, is, is exposed and not living up to the word of God, that doesn't feel very loving. I don't feel loved when someone tells me to change something because I'm doing something wrong. I suspect that that is common to all of us sinners. We don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be proven wrong from the scriptures, most of all, because we really uh, are remaining sin. We want to rebel against the Lord. We want to do uh, that which is evil. Uh, and our Uh, We need to be corrected from God's word. And we have to remember that when when God comes to us from the scriptures and and, in that way that Hebrews 4 describes the the word of God as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and when it pierces us, and when it is painful, and when God exposes to us 
brother, sister, you need to change this to be an increase in conformity to God's word. It's important that we remember that that is an act of love. If a brother or sister comes to you and, uh, and says, you know, this, this way that you are speaking or this way that you are acting, this is not right. Look at the scriptures. Look at what God says. You are not behaving in a way that a Christian should behave. Well, the thing that should and often does motivate that is love, a genuine concern. Of course, also a good reminder to those of us who may be in the position of taking God's word to someone to correct them, to check our own hearts, to see are we doing this out of love or are we doing this because we want to hold the word of God over someone and uh, get them to do what we want. Uh, The love of Christ is controlling the Apostle Paul. He is doing everything he can to make his ministry to the church uh, share the, the same form and the same patterns of God's ministry to us through his son, the Lord Jesus. The Lord isn't interested in spoiling our fun, brothers and sisters. It's not what he's about. The Lord is not leading us into the wilderness to die, as Israel so often accused Moses and Aaron in the book of Numbers. Uh, The Lord is not uh, trying to keep us from good things. Rather, the Lord is trying to prevent us from engaging in all that is harmful and wicked and evil by giving us his word to instruct us in the paths of life and to lead us to his son, Jesus. The Corinthians perhaps may have thought that they were doing well, and yet it's easy to read the two letters that we have from the apostle to the church and realize this was among the most dysfunctional of churches in all of the New Testament. Getting drunk on communion, committing sexual uh, immorality and sin that was not even practiced among pagans. Uh, These things that are just scandalous sin, and yet the Lord pursues them. The Apostle Paul does not give up on them. He continues to love them, to serve them, to not burden them, to spend himself for them, to show them Jesus. This is the same spirit, he says, that all uh, all of his party have acted in. Verse uh, 17 and 18, or did I take advantage of you through any, uh, anyone else, through any of those I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Right, the shape of Christian ministry is to be one where we pursue one another. We pursue those outside the church. We pursue them in love. We bring them the word of God because this is what God is doing. Until the close of this age, God is pursuing sinners, everyone whom he knows, whom he will call to himself. And he does it through the church and the ordinary ministry of the word. And we see finally that God's purposes in all of this are to bring us to repentance. God pursues us, he pursues us in love, and God pursues us that we might repent. Uh, You notice here, if you look, uh, there are three different kinds of sin that are being committed and and identified here. Uh, One is implicit in the uh, the Corinthians' rejection of Paul and his ministry, Uh, right? So 
Paul, you remember, he's an apostle. Uh, The apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus, whom the risen Lord Jesus specifically commissioned and sent to the church to be the foundation of the New Testament church. Right? This was a an office that existed uh, only at the foundation of the church. It has since ceased. There are no apostles. I know that some Christian denominations still claim to have apostles, uh, but that's false. There are no apostles uh, any longer. Uh, There are now simply pastors and teachers. Uh, So for a church to abandon an apostle is a little bit different than a church today deciding, well, I really don't, we we think our pastor is not a good fit and he needs to go, or I'm going to go to another church because... Uh, I don't really like the pastor. That, those are still weighty decisions that should not be made lightly at all, but they're not as weighty as when you have an apostle, an eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus coming to you. Uh, uh, you know, it would be closer to saying for us today, you know, I disagree with the New Testament. I have a different way of finding God. It's much closer to that. Right? This is the apostolic ministry that we have recorded in Scripture. Uh, and uh, we would put ourselves in mortal peril were we to abandon the scriptures and go some other way. So the Corinthians are, uh, they're rejecting Jesus' ministry to them through Paul. And then Paul identifies, uh, we could call them sins of disorder, perhaps, in verse 20. right? Uh, quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And then, of course, he references in verse 21, the sexual impurity and sensuality this has been dealt with also back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 5 through 7. So there are three different kinds of sin here, and Paul is uh, calling them to repent of each of them. Right? Paul explains his motives and his ministry. He explains that he loves them, that he is their spiritual father, that he is spending himself for them. Uh, and that uh, verse 15, you know, he's calling them to love him to respond with love to him, uh, to stop the uh, hostility and the skepticism towards him, but to reach out in love. Uh, he's calling them to repent. doesn't use the, the word, but it's clear that that's what he's doing. And he warns them, and we're going to consider some of this in more detail this evening, as he uh, increases the severity of his warning in chapter 13, but he, he warns them concerning the sins that he fears he might find. Uh, in verse 20, he, he says, I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Verse 21, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented. God's word comes to us, God pursues us, Jesus comes to us, and action is required in response. And that action is repentance and faith. God's word comes to us and it confronts our remaining unbelief that we might repent. God is saving a people for himself. God is calling us to himself, but God is not going to leave us as we are. God is interested in our repentance in forming Christ within us. Just as he desired, the Corinthians sent the message to them that they would repent. And we, of course, we don't know how this turned out. Uh, God's word sometimes functions as 
uh, one of judgment, right? when God's word comes, and if it's met with unbelief and rejection and there is no repentance, it's simply uh, the case then that God's word functions uh, to judge and to condemn. Right? We don't ourselves condemn others. God's word uh, already pronounces the judgment. Uh, but for those who do believe, it effects repentance. And so it's a good opportunity, brothers and sisters, for us to reflect on our own lives. The Apostle Paul coming to visit the church, uh, even uh, every Lord's Day when we gather together for worship and a pastor brings to you and opens the Word of God, these are all uh, small little foretastes of what we anticipate when Jesus returns. We are preparing ourselves for a visit with the Lord. We will meet King Jesus. And of course, none of us can achieve sinless perfection in this life. And uh, God sent his son so that we could have the hope of redemption without ourselves being able to meet that perfect standard. And yet, it is good for us to consider how are we conducting ourselves in our Christian walk? How are we responding to God's word? Are we ourselves repenting and growing in holiness? When a brother or sister comes and brings me the word of God, how do I respond? Particularly when it's obvious that I'm doing something wrong. And for uh, many of us who have been, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you probably are used to doing this yourself. You know your own sins and you know uh, your own temptations and struggles. Are you continuing to struggle and to strive? Or do you give up? The Apostle Paul is not going to let the Corinthians give up. He's continuing to write to them, to minister to them. He's going to visit them. And he is doing everything that he can in his ministry to urge them towards repentance, to stop sinning, to stop doing that which is evil. It's always... It's always easy to recognize the evil in other people, right? We can even do it here in the text. We can read the list of descriptors that Paul uses of the Corinthians, and we can think, man, those Corinthians, they were terrible. They were almost as bad as the PCUSA. They were just terrible. And yet, if we take an honest look, right, all of these sins are in our hearts. You don't have to leave the walls of the OPC to find Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. You don't have to go outside of the OPC to find churches that have trouble receiving the ministry of their pastors. You don't have to go outside of our own walls to find sexual immorality and impurity. Right? The Lord gives uh, texts like this to us, not so that we could think, oh, the Corinthians were so bad, but so that we could recognize, oh, we also need to repent. And we ourselves need to keep watch over our lives and hear the word of God and repent of those sins which bring us death, though we cherish them so much. Brothers and sisters, Christ calls us to something much better. Calls us to the paths of life, that we would repent, that we would turn away from our unbelieving and disobedient and wicked remaining thoughts and patterns of behavior and speech, that we would turn to the Lord Jesus in new obedience, in preparation for that day when we will be with him in glory. We know we don't have to earn his favor. We already stand perfectly justified in his sight through the blood of Jesus. And yet by that same blood, we now can be strengthened by the spirit of God 
to live out in newness of life, to not be the old man, the old woman, but to live out that new creation life, knowing that we will be with Jesus. He will return once he has gathered all of his elect unto himself, and then we will be with him in perfect, sinless glory to all eternity. Is that the aim of your Christian walk, brothers and sisters? Or do you find that it is tempting to simply languish in the fleeting pleasures of our sin? It's tempting to do so. But the Lord pursues us that we might repent, that we might follow after him. And he gives us the church of Jesus Christ. And he gives us one another that we might encourage one another in these things, pointing one another to Jesus, even as we call in the lost and those outside of our walls who need to hear this message, that they are perishing and that they need to repent and that God has provided a Savior who was even greater than the Apostle Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul could not save the Corinthians, but he images that one who can and does save us, the one who did spend himself for our souls, the Lord Jesus, who gave his very body and blood in our place. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his great salvation. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you and praise you that you are a God who has not left us to die in our sin. We know that your judgments are just and right. And we know that you would have been righteous and just to leave us to our well-deserved fate of condemnation. And so, Lord, how we praise you that you chose in your own free love and grace and mercy to call us out of that sin and misery, to call us out of death and to give to us new life. And Lord, we thank you that as you have called us to yourself, you continue to call us by your word and spirit to follow after you, to walk in step with the spirit, to put to death the desires of the flesh. We know the remaining sin in our own minds and hearts. And Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you would be at work to sanctify us, to strengthen us in putting these things to death, to help us to see the truth that our sin does not bring us anything good, but only brings death. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the relationships that we have with one another in the church, that Uh, we would mutually bear one another's burdens and point one another to Christ and call one another to greater faith and obedience and repentance where it is needed. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you would help us uh, to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, remembering that there is a day appointed when the Lord Jesus will return and this age will close and we will enter into the resurrection not because of our perfect faith and obedience but because of that perfect sacrifice of Jesus and his blood which covers all of our sins. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to grow us in the faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and that we would continue to call in the lost by your word, that they may also be saved. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.